The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. This is Brendan Fletcher, writer of Black Canary, co-writer of Gotham Academy and Batgirl, and you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, people have asked recently, how did the Ziggurat get underground? We found it. Well, we found it. We discovered it. There's yeah. actually a comic book story all about it. It's that Joe true. Patrick has not illustrated, but soon. I've drawn the first four panels. You will see. I've already reworked the intro, so it's going to be even better. It starts at like the dawn of time. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> it is my pleasure to welcome you to the TGen episode 230, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, November 4th. It's already almost time for Thanksgiving. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not remembering, remembering the 5th of Novembering, I am writing the comic speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not putting a little rouge on my Guy Fox mask so that smile looks even happier, I'm the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. In this week's Landmark Collector's 230th episode, you'll hear our review of James Bond, number one, and Hercules, number one. After that, Rama Tut comes looking for Ben Carson to set him straight while we review 10 more of this week's comics during the ludicrous speed round. After that, we visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll explore the mysteries of next week's comics with the help of some psychedelic suppositories. Wait, what? Don't worry about it. And finally... Rewriting rap lyrics to suit our nerdy needs has proven too much for our writer's room, and the comic pushers have turned state's witness and plan to testify against us. Not if I testify first. So, Ask a Nerd is even more powerful, and we'll be pulling double duty from here on out. There can be only one. So prepare yourselves for the quickening and get ready to black out the sky, because Matt and Joe are dropping bombs on the nerdy internet, and damn it, it's time to talk about this week's big news. We got big news. Matt, how much do you love Star Trek? I love Star Trek. So much is stupid. Do you love it enough to pay six bucks a month for yet another streaming service that you will otherwise never use? Nope. Then I've got news for you. I love it enough to steal it from the internet. Hey. <laughs> CBS is developing a new Star Trek series aimed to debut in January 2017. The premiere special will air on CBS with all subsequent episodes available on the network's digital streaming service. Good God. CBS All Access. All Access, sorry. CBS All Access. All Axes. <laughs> that was last week. That was Valiant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exclusively in the United States. CBS will distribute the show internationally through partner networks. Who cares about those international yeah, assholes? I don't pay any attention to that. This is America, damn it. That's right. Star Trek and Star Trek Into Darkness co-writer Alex Kurtzman will serve as executive producer for the new series, which will be based on new ideas and characters and not tied directly to the recent movies. CBS All Access already offers every episode of all previous Star Trek series on the streaming service, plus all of CBS's other crappy shows. Yeah, guess what? So does Netflix. Netflix does have all Star Trek. Yeah. So like they said, it's going to be a new series with new characters not tied into the movies. Uh, CBS's president, Les Moonves, came out and straight up said they're trying to make a big push with this new service and the network believes that diehard Trek fans will support it. There's a model here that 
everyone has been trying to figure out as far as how to deliver their digital content. I feel like Apple TV has a very good model where you just buy the show episode by episode or you buy season pass. Works great. But when we all start developing our own streaming services, instead of saying, come buy the CBS show for two bucks an episode or whatever, we all start saying, okay, here's your CBS app. Here's your Fox app. Here's your, the movie channel app. Here's your stars app and whatnot. All of a sudden you're paying more for streaming services than you are for your basic cable. I already pay for dish network and part of my dish network is CBS. Why am I going to pay again for another streaming service? It seems silly because you can't get Star Trek. I don't know. I guess you have to weigh the pros and cons because all of a sudden you're holding content hostage for money when I'm already paying for the rest of your content. Yeah, but it's not like this isn't going to eventually show up on DVD. I'm sure it will. And they get to make money again that way. That's why I'm saying this is stupid. That's why I'm saying if you don't want to put it on CBS regular and just put it on your streaming service, that's already free, by the way, if you have like the watch CBS where they have a bunch of free programming to push us there. I'm fine with that. But I, this just seems ridiculous charging for it. By the way, super excited for more Star Trek. Right. Yes, of Star, course. Star Trek has not been on television in 10 years. Yeah. I'm annoyed by it, but I totally understand it's annoying. it. It's annoying. Because why should Amazon Prime be able to do it and make original shows that everybody goes gaga over? Or Hulu be able to make original shows that everybody goes gaga for it? But then when CBS des- decides, we have like one of the most popular properties ever invented... We're going to do that too. Here's why. Because Amazon and Hulu only exist where they are. Amazon and Hulu don't exist Fair. on you know, cable television. CBS is already there and you're already paying for it. And you know, they're like, no, it's part of the free bundle. That's bullshit. You are paying for it. It's figured into your cable bill. Unless you don't have cable. So this is paying for it twice. I am excited for more Star Trek. I'll be honest. I'm probably not going to pay for it. Maybe not anytime soon. But this is going to be how it is. There won't be any cable. There will only be networks offering programming. Right. As opposed to, we've all dreamt of the a la carte cable. We're not going to get it. We're going to get this. No, we'll all control our own content and sell it to you piece by piece, which sucks. I I agree that I think that they should sell them, you know, on iTunes or whatever, episode by episode. We've got a perfectly good way to do that. I can't imagine paying six bucks a month to get one show. Yeah. Or even two shows or, that I really like. Yay, now I can watch all the Mentalist episodes I want to watch. Like, ugh, who cares? I, I love the Mentalist. I know, but I feel like CBS is just such generic TV. <laughs> I don't You know, I don't. people running around and be like, oh man, I got to get home. Two Broke Girls is on, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I see them. I see them working. I understand the instinct to, to go in this direction, and they're probably right. I bet you millions of people will sign up for this. I'm, pro- plenty will. But I don't think it's going to be the blockbuster success they think it's going to be, though. I can't justify six bucks a month just to watch Star I can't Trek either. when I already have CBS. Yeah, sorry. And if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a wagon. In Make-A-Wish news, Daniel Fleetwood, a terminally ill Star Wars fan suffering from a rare form of cancer, was granted a private screening of Star Wars The Force Awakens by director J.J. Abrams. In recent weeks... The hashtag Force for Daniel started circulating on social media, Twitter and whatnot to raise awareness of Daniel's plight when his prognosis became such that he wasn't going to survive until the film's official opening. Even Force Awakens stars like Mark Hamill and John Boyega were sharing the hashtag as well as Daniel's story. Daniel's wish came true this week when director J.J. Abrams authorized a private 
screening of an unfinished cut of the film. This is just awesome. That's so cool. It, it's super sweet. Let me ask you this. Do you think Lucas would do this? I think he would. I'll bet Lucas would be like, uh, what, what, what's a hashtag? Well, now hold on. <laughs> let me let me ask you a different question. Do you think JJ it was up to JJ Abrams? I'll bet, yeah. I'll bet I he bet has enough no. power that no he, way. You think Disney was just like, yeah, we should do this? I think I think that there's no way this happened without Disney agreeing to it. You, it of course, like of course, they had to go to Mickey. How many times have like, they like replaced the directors on the next few Star Wars right. films? Like these guys. Yes. Uh, uh, Mr. Mouse, there uh, <laughs> yeah. there seems to be a bit of an uproar on Twitter. Um, Whoa, what is it? <laughs> like, <laughs> I told you not to bother me, goddammit! <laughs> <laughs> we should also note that while Daniel was able to get his last wish, he and his wife have had to take months of unpaid leave, and they're currently living on a single-income source, Ashley's teacher salary, which... We all know teachers are rolling in cash. Yeah, way overpaid, <laughs> if you ask me. When Daniel passes away, Ashley will be left with an enormous medical debt. And so there's a GoFundMe page currently running to help cover those costs. And the international attention definitely caused a huge surge in donations. It went from like 25000 to 40000 Great. But it's still at only, it's 60% short of their goal. I've never had cancer. I've never had protracted stays in the hospital. I've Knock never had wood. to take medical leave. But I can only imagine that even their even the goal that they set is probably not going to cover the whole. Yeah, it's probably modest. The main point here is this is a very sweet story. It's awesome to read this feel good stuff and to learn that like guys like J.J. Abrams and Boyega and Hamill are nerds just like us with hearts. We'll have a right. link to the GoFundMe campaign in, in our notes. notes. Go there, just throw $5 at it. But I mean, whatever you can afford. As we discussed last week, you fools don't check the show notes. Yes. So go to Google and and just search for GoFundMe Daniel Fleetwood or go to GoFundMe.com and search for Daniel Fleetwood. It'll be the first thing that pops up. This, though, is one of those times that our small community of like-minded nerds can really help out somebody, make a yeah. positive impact. Yeah. It sucks that they're, they're going through this. It's really great that he got to have that experience before but we can help. he goes. We can help out his wife, Ashley, when she needs it most. So get to GoFundMe, throw him some dough. Don't be jerks. Once upon a time, Matt Bomb and I were big fans of a little game called World of Warcraft. Maybe you've heard of it. I vaguely recall this. After starting off with the Alliance, we quickly discovered that the Horde was where it's at. Yeah. And we never looked back. I just like the undead guys because they like thrashed. Yeah, the they did. They did thrash. <laughs> now, the first trailer for Duncan Jones's live action Warcraft adaptation has hit the net. And I have to tell you, seeing it had me itching for my old undead mage. Ugh. It, it looks does. totally awesome. Like, the armor looks just like everything. Looks the exactly NPC like it. character armor. We saw Stormwind. We saw Ogrimmar. We saw they were taking the Griffins oh, from oh point to point. God, I, <laughs> it looks so this cool. This is like the one thing that I, the one thing that I kind of miss looking at it again. Where are the guys that have just like ridiculously mismatched gear because they've just been scrounging it as they go? <laughs> like, I'll bet we run into some of those. There'll be some jokes to hide in there. I'll bet Leroy Jenkins pops up. Duncan Jones is making this movie. That guy made Moon. Yeah. I mean, he's a super talented guy. He's also, little known fact, David Bowie's son. I did know that. Yeah. So I think this looks incredible. 
I love Warcraft. I promise, honey, I'm not going back to World of Warcraft. Ugh. For one thing, I don't think my computer can handle it yeah, anymore. No, yours can't. Mine can't. But I didn't spend enough time playing it to justify a monthly fee. No, that's... I just... I did not give it enough We're not time. going into that. Let's go back to how we feel about the trailer. But that really did, like, make me miss oh, that time. world. Big time. It's such an awesome world. I also think it's really clever just to focus... And just say, look, we're going to do a story with the humans and the ogres, as opposed to here is the world of Warcraft. Everything you want to see is here. Yeah, like like the stuff we've heard about the upcoming Dungeons and Dragons movie does not excite me at all. It might look cool, but it like it just sounds like they're trying to do way too much. This looks great. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I I've just been so curious about how the heck they can make a Warcraft movie and do it justice when really that game is all just cutscenes. Yeah. It it's like one cutscene when you open the game and then a bunch of text boxes oh, but over people's of, heads. There's plenty of stories written within the mythology and they're just gonna focus yeah, on it. It's one of got them. a deep, deep mythology. Yeah, I can't wait for this. Yeah, me too. Well done. All right, thumbs up. Ready, guys. Let's do this. Leroy and finally, Joe Patrick, Oni Press has announced that their critically acclaimed series, Kaiju Max, has been renewed for a second season. This mature audience prison drama with giant monsters is the brainchild of writer-artist Xander Cannon, with one part HBO's Oz and a little dash of Orange is the New Black. That's how Oni describes it. All the red humongo wants to do is go straight now that he's out on parole. But his good for nothing brother, green humongo, has escaped from Kaiju Max and is crashing at his house with fellow escapee Electra Gore in tow. Out of work guard, Jong drinks his troubles away on the moon while new police recruit, like you do, Chisato, throws herself enthusiastically in her first day on the job. Also, blindside tackles, filial piety. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't either. Savage beatings and a Flintstones reference. In Oni's press release, Cannon said, You like monsters? Yeah. You like prison? Maybe. <laughs> Come on and join me for Kaiju Max Season 2. The first trade is big and cheap, so people can jump right aboard. I'm not going to try to brutalize or kill off any beloved characters this season, but no promises. Joe, did you read Kaiju Max? I love Kaiju Max. I f***ing love Kaiju Max. It's so great. It's fantastic. Xander Cannon is one of those relatively unknown creators that is so good and does not get enough pub that guy is amazing and he's not just a great writer he's a great artist totally really agree. talented i've loved him forever i hope he gets like some serious you hope this elevates his profile i hope this elevates his profile <laughs> i hope his q rating goes up <laughs> no super excited for more kaiju max this is great absolutely it was one of my biggest surprises of the year going mm-hmm. into it i thought oh i know what this is and it was just this very sincere yeah. prison drama yeah. with monsters. With giant monsters. Crazy. Totally crazy. That's the big news for this week. If you like to discuss these stories and everything we missed, hit us up at the THN forum where Joe has posted a pic of his red humongo, but be warned, it's huge and it is not safe for work. I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> Every Sunday, the grotesquely hung Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in the THN forums. Folks, it's gross. Trust me. Joey, what are we asking the nerds this week? This week's question was submitted by Harvey Locust, who writes, Friday, November 13th is my birthday. So I want to know who you think is the unluckiest character in comics. This is great. Or side question. 
What is your favorite moment in comics where something unlucky happens to a character? Okay. I definitely have an answer for one. Yeah. I'm not sure if I have an answer for the second part. I definitely have an answer for the first part. You have until 5 o'clock Central Time, Harv's birthday, November 13th, to get us your answer. That's Friday the 13th. You can call and leave a message using Skype. The handle's to it at nerd, all one word. Or call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. And if you're feeling lucky, you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and keep it, whatever you do, keep it under two minutes. You'll get cut off. Jeff Hitt got cut off last week. I've known that dude for 10 years. Yeah. Matt didn't even care. I don't care. I like that guy. Imagine what I'll do to you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. And then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN answer of the week podcast. If you're lucky, if all you're you lucky. people complaining about the show taking a week off, yeah. calm down. Life happens or pay more for it. Interview time in Ziggurat, which means Joe and I have to change into our reading glasses, put on our cardigan and slippers, and plop down on our comfy toilet to tell you kids what to think about your comics. Pay attention, nerds! Joe Patrick's on the can. What are you reviewing? This week, my review is James Bond number one from Dynamite Entertainment, written by Warren Ellis with art by Jason Masters. Here's your solicit. James Bond returns to London after a mission of vengeance in Helsinki to take up the workload of a fallen double O section agent, but something evil is moving through the back streets of the city and sinister plans are being laid for bond in Berlin. I have what I would consider to be a pretty casual appreciation of the James Bond franchise. You weren't dating James Bond, but you slept with him a couple times. Yeah, right. Right. I love the concept of the gentleman spy and all the tropes that come with it. The gadgets, the cars, the ladies. I've never been a diehard follower though of the most famous spy in fiction. I am, however, a pretty diehard fan of Warren Ellis. So when Dynamite announced that he'd be bringing Bond to comics for the first time in 20 years, of course I took notice. Ellis's Bond isn't really a take on the Sean Connery or Daniel Craig versions, though. Instead, he's taking his inspiration from the Bond novels, where the character is more flawed, less suave, pretty sexist, and actually kind of a f*** up. Well, he's always been pretty sexist. Well, sure. You know. When James meets M at MI6 headquarters, we find out that the powers that be are none too pleased with his track record and view him as more of a blunt instrument than a precise surgeon's tool. They never are. For like the world's greatest spy, they're always like, damn it, Bond, what have you done? (laughs) (laughs) I loved that contrast between this character and the movie Bond. I mean, you, you make that point, but they still don't treat him like he's just a thug. No. It immediately sets this book apart from those stories that we've seen play out time and time again on the screen. But while this is a different take on the character, Ellis hits all of the notes that we've come to expect from a James Bond story from the pre title card action sequence through the banter with money, Penny, the visit to Q and the reveal of the villain. And the villain even has a distinguishing quirk, uh, a la, you know, like, Oh, metal teeth yeah. <laughs> or, or the guy that cries blood. The guy, or, right. Exactly. You know, the opening scene is silent and brutal, but Ellis almost plays bond against his colleagues for laughs. So it's a little off-putting to think of the man in those two scenes as the same character, but I think that's intentional. There is a scene with some drug addicts where I didn't fully understand what was happening, but it's a brief moment in an otherwise excellent story, and the drug thing is part of the plot. Yeah, I think they were just introducing the drug. I just didn't understand what was happening, like literally what was happening in that 
in yeah. those moments. I think they're just introducing the fact that a lot of people are messed up on this new chemical. And of course, it's going to turn out to be really dangerous. I loved the art by Jason Masters and Colorist Guy Major. Oh, yeah. Masters uses a combination of heavy blacks and zipatone style dots for shading, which creates a lot of depth, but it doesn't make the artwork muddy. Uh, Masters doesn't skimp on backgrounds at all, and everything is very precise. Yeah, he's a very talented draftsman, definitely. But the characters look natural in the environments instead of posed on top of pre-drawn scenery, which I know is a problem with some artists, because you can tell looking at that art that he definitely used some sort of drafting tool and there are many sure perspective tools and and drawing aids for digital artists sure and a lot of times when it comes to art that's that detailed when it comes to inserting characters into that art they look off yeah absolutely and here it looked totally natural guy major washes the book primarily in cool blues and greens with flashes of intense red or drab brown to punctuate action or humdrum office life, even if it is the Office of England's premier spy outfit, and add in the beautiful cover by Dom Reardon and the sharp design work by Rianne Hughes, and this becomes one of the best-looking books on the stands this week. Yeah. I talked about it last week. This looks nothing like a Dynamite book. Yeah, it really does. It really stands out. And again, not a slam against Dynamite. No, but it just it's it pops out. Yeah. I am very, very pleased with James Bond so far, and I'm a little stunned that there have been so few attempts to bring him to comics. Yeah, Dark Horse did it for quite a while, but that was 15, 20 years ago, the last time they put one out. I'm a little shocked as well. I'm really looking forward to more from this series. It's a buy it. I'd like to point out that the creative team on this, Warren Ellis, Jason Masters, and Guy Major. Have you ever heard of a more profoundly British creative team? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, really, hip, they're just like hip. Britannic Worthington is your writer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, this was fantastic. Ellis, you know, I honestly think Ellis dialed it back a little bit. He, I, when you pick up a Warren Ellis book, you expect there's going to be something bizarre. And yeah, like, I mean, it's relatively it's straightforward. This was a very straightforward James Bond story. And if you like the old James Bond, the novels and the movies, you will love this. Pick it up. Huge. Bye. Yeah. A real quick point that while I said that it was different from the movie character, it's still recognizably James. It's Bond. still very traditionally James. Bond. Yeah. Matt, what was your pick for this week? I had to review Hercules. Number one. From Marvel, written by Dan Abnett with art by Luke Ross, 32 pages for $3.99. Before I get into it, disclaimer, I f***ing love Hercules. Not necessarily classic Greek mythology Herc, don't get me wrong, he's awesome, but specifically Marvel Comics Hercules. Classic Greek mythology Hercules is kind of a douchebag. (laughs) Well, I mean, they all were, all the gods were, you know? And to be fair, Marvel Hercules Famously kind of a douchebag. <laughs> yeah, they do touch on it in this in this comic. He is as strong as Thor, a little drunker maybe, way better looking, and has more than a thousand years of experience under his belt. For a while now, Herc has been written as a joke. I love the previous Greg Pak and Fred Van Lente series, but it didn't do much to lift Herc out of his joke status. Here, Abnett is writing Herc as a capable demigod that has realized times have changed and there's still a place for the old heroes. Gilgamesh, however, is having a much more difficult time. <laughs> Gilgamesh, the forgotten one. Yes, for those of you who don't remember, Gilgamesh, uh, Sumerian, the first hero, like as far as we know, 
in according to Lud- widely considered to be the first mythological hero written in ancient Sumeria. The first Titan is currently living on Herc's couch until he gets back on his feet. Of course, Herc also has a new look. He's still shirtless, but he's wearing pants and boots instead of sandals and a skirt. He's got a mandolier going. Yeah. Abnett does a great job making Herc a capable but yet still lovable hero that is just now understanding his place in the modern world. He hasn't lost his history, but he's finally found a way to be who he is. Luke Ross is fantastic here. He's drawing a very straight ahead, real world looking comic while still incorporating the magic and the myth of Hercules. This is not a new take on Herc. But it is a fantastic new tweak. And I just hope someone else out there loves this character enough to pick this up. I promise you, you will like this. Go and buy this book. It was wonderful. I agree. I totally agree. I thought it was excellent. I wasn't sure that it was going to be exceptional. Right. Because Dan Abnett has solo written some books recently. Some of them yes. I like. Some of them I don't. I don't like Guardians 3000. Yeah, I don't really care. But I thought this book was exceptional. And they took it, and Abnett took it in a direction I was not expecting. I love the idea that Hercules has just kind of like woken up and decided, you know what? I have to do better. Yeah, I've been a jackass. Yeah. And putting him in juxtaposition with Gilgamesh, who's just like... It. I don't count anymore. Whatever. I'm going to watch TV. Sure. I'm going to eat some cereal. <laughs> yeah. What's the point? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is really it's great. It's really, uh, it's not even a subtle metaphor, but it's such a strong metaphor for not getting stuck in your ways yeah. and, you know, kind of embracing a new way of thinking to get out of a rut. Right. It was just borderline inspirational. <laughs> not to mention the fact that Marvel just hasn't really known what to do with Hercules for a long time. So they just kind of made him comic relief. And this Seems like, hey, he has a purpose now. He's a hero. He's going to do something again. He's going to be a hero. He's going to show the other guys how it's done because he's been doing it forever. Yeah, I mean, really, if you think about it, there are very few characters that should be as competent at adventuring as Hercules. Yeah, I mean, really. Thor, right? maybe. And they don't often show him as more than like a brawler. Or a drunk womanizer. Yeah. And this is Hercules very much living to his potential, yeah. embracing the, uh, the years of experience and knowledge. One of my favorite things of this book, real quick, because I know we're kind of going on at length about it, is the idea that because Hercules is a god, that the people that come to him for help have to offer him something. Well, he's a demigod. Well, yeah, but you know what I mean. Right. Like, they have to make him an offering. Yeah. It's not like a payment, not writing him a check. It's no, it's a gift. Something... That's important to you right. as a person, like uh, your treasure. And so the little kids that come to hire him because uh, their sister's dating a monster, all they have to give him are like Pokemon cards. Right. And he like covets them. He like, yes, oh, this is a valuable treasure. Yeah. And then they show his little desk of treasures. He, yeah. Like all of the things that people have given him is like action figures and, yeah. and little statue like yeah. Olsen. and he's like they're all in order and they're oh, all yeah. really nice it's he very sweet like, yeah. almost sweet yeah I loved it, it this was, was a great book fantastic uh, if I didn't say it out loud it's a buy it for me so that is a double buy it for both James Bond number one and Hercules number one now finish up your clandestine assassinations and godlike labors then share your thoughts on these comics over at the THN forums Egyptian lava 
Well, kids, we learned some pretty interesting facts about GOP candidate Ben Carson this week. First, he's a big, fat, hairy liar. Second, he thinks Joseph and his Technicolor Dreamcoat built the pyramids to store grain and dead pharaohs. In the interest no, of... No, didn't he say that he didn't think that they were supposed yeah, yeah, to be tombs? Yeah. <laughs> what an idiot. And then his church came out, Seventh-day Adventists, and they're like, we don't share this theory. That is a private theory of Mr. Carson. In the interest of clearing up the record, we've enlisted the help of the time-traveling pharaoh Ryama Tut to stop by the dinner Carson supposedly attended with General Westmoreland, visit his buddy Bob that he supposedly attempted to stab as a young teen, and finally, ancient Egypt to personally see the Egyptians building the pyramids to bury their f***ing pharaohs in, you moron. Uh, Join us as we rocket through time on our fact-finding mission while we review 10 more of this week's comics during... The Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Clause number one from Boom! After I read this and I wrote up my little review, I started to wonder if, based on the way it's spelled, it should be pronounced to Klaus. Well, I mean, Sinterklaus, that's the German one. Yeah. But I think he puts bad kids in a bag and takes them back to <laughs> Africa or something. <laughs> Have you ever woken up in the morning and thought, man, I really wish I knew the badass secret origin of Santa Claus? Every day. Grant Morrison did, and God bless him for deciding to share it with the world. This was awesome. And the art by Dan Mora is gorgeous. This is one of history's greatest mythological figures. No offense, Hercules. Reimagined as an action hero. Claus number one gets a huge buy it. We can add another strange comic genre. Santa Claus is a superhero. <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> Citizen Jack number one from Image. I'm officially on the Sam Humphreys train because that guy writes nutty f***ing comics. Citizen Jack is the story of an unlikely presidential candidate that's gaining ground in the national polls with a little help from Satan, which sounds eerily reminiscent of the Trump campaign, doesn't it? <laughs> Tommy Patterson is fantastic on art here with this thin line style that reminds me of Chris Burnham's work. This was original, it was funny, it was bizarre, and it's worth your money. Citizen Jack is a huge buy it. Monstrous, number one from Image. Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda team up for a new series that the solicit calls Steampunk Meets Kaiju. Ugh. I'm not sure it's either of those, okay. at least not yet. Like my hives just flared up when you said that. <laughs> what it is, is a stunning high fantasy story about a young woman struggling to control the dark power inside her as she infiltrates a slaver stronghold, seeking revenge on the woman that murdered her mother. That's heavy stuff. There's so much more to it than that. This triple-sized first issue does so much world building that it's impossible to describe in a way that does the book justice in this short review. I started out unsure, but by the end, I was hooked, thanks in no small part to Takeda's wonderful art. It's also 72 pages for five bucks. That's insane. Triple size. That's how you do this. You want people to check it out? Bang. There you go. Monstrous number one was beautiful, and it definitely gets a buy it from me. Drax number one from Marvel. Marvel is so psyched about the box office success of Guardians of the Galaxy that they've given solo series to every member of the team but Gamora, which is probably next, followed by a solo series for the ship. The art by Scott Hepburn was exceptional here, but the story by ex-wrestler turned UFC fighter CM Punk and ex-wrestler turned UFC fighter Cullen Bunn left me wanting. <laughs> Rather than a book that explores the character of Drax, maybe look into his history, teach us a little something about him, we get Drax punching and stabbing stuff. 
and it really goes nowhere and comes off like a bad wrestling plot. Making part of a tag team with Terax, I might be interested. For now, Drax gets a skin it. Extraordinary X-Men, number one, from Marvel. This is our first real glimpse at the X-Men in the new Marvel Universe, and it looks a whole lot like the X-Men from the old Marvel Universe. Once again, mutants aren't just being persecuted, but they're at the brink of extinction. Meet the new X-Men, same as the old X-Men. As the cloud of Terrigen Mist hits the mutant community like a plague. Jeff Lemire does a fine job on writing duties, but there doesn't seem to be anything that new, different, or extraordinary about the story so far. And unfortunately, Humberto Ramos, who I usually love, doesn't seem to be at the top of his game here. He's got some pretty awkward action and deformed characters, even for him. There was a magic pose where it looked like her hips were broken. Extraordinary X-Men number one is a skim it for now. Yeah, skim it for me too. I didn't love it. Uncanny X-Men number 600 from Marvel. Why 600? Because comic readers can't do math. B.M. Bennis finishes his acclaimed run on X-Men with an intervention for Hank McCoy, which is probably a long time in coming. This one stars everyone and features art from everyone that worked on the run previously. I am going to miss Bendis' dialogue and his take on the X-Peeps, but it's probably more than time to retire some of his ideas. Thank you, though, for another kick-ass run, Mr. Bendis. This had a wonderful scene right before the very end that really, really lifted my spirits for what's coming next. I'm giving the Uncanny X-Men 600 a buy it. The Vision, number one, from Marvel. Listen to me very carefully. Stop what you're doing and go buy The Vision, number one, immediately. Writer Tom King and artist Gabriel Hernandez-Walta and Jordi Belair deliver a stunning first issue. That's the first book of the Marvel relaunch to really deliver on the all-new, all-different promise. Absolutely, I agree. After purging himself of the emotions that were causing his memory to fail, as seen in Avengers number zero, yep. the Vision has built himself a suburban robot family in an attempt to reconnect with humanity. I'm sure everything's going to work out great. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is hands down the best thing I read all week, and it might be my favorite new series of the year. I'm totally with you. The Vision number one is a huge buy-in. Yeah, it I love it. It was amazing. Incredible stuff. Unfollow number one from DC slash Vertigo. The Vertigo Renaissance continues here with writer Rob Williams' story of a cancer-stricken billionaire who's decided to trust his fortune to 140 people he's chosen from his time observing social media. Some are freedom fighters. Others appear to be criminals. Regardless, all of their lives are about to change, and not everybody is happy about it. Wonderful art here by Michael Dowling, paired with a great story that had me from page one. This reminded me of some of my favorite Chuck Palahniuk novels. I am giving Unfollow the biggest buy it I can. This comic is going to be a blast. There is a very strong implication that he brought these people together so that they could be hunted like animals. Maybe. <laughs> or someone is just going to hunt them like animals. We'll yeah, see. maybe. The Hangman, number one from Dark Circle. Thank God Frank Thierry's back. I was afraid for that, dude. <laughs> Archie's Supernatural Punisher gets a mature and gritty update, courtesy of writer Frank Thierry and artist Felix Ruiz. The man who put a puppy in the microwave in the pages of Wolverine. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> really, I should put mature and gritty in air quotes, because what that means to Thierry is a hitman making jokes about his butt and then torturing a guy for pages <laughs> upon pages. And I'm sorry, I just was not fond of Ruiz's art style. There might be interesting story potential buried in this concept somewhere, 
I'm not sticking around to find out. Hangman number one is a uh, leave it. Welcome back, Frank. <laughs> that was multi-level. That was I get meta. it. I get it. Joe Gollum, number one from Dark Horse. Mike Mignola and co-writer Christopher Golden bring their novel Joe Gollum to comics with another compelling character and stunning art by Patrick Reynolds. Not in the Mignolaverse like I thought. Nope. There seems to be a line of incredible art talent waiting to work with Mignola, and it pays off as usual with a creepy story that takes place in New York that's been sunk under 30 feet of water. This doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the Mignolaverse, but I don't care. It's creepy, it's weird, it's pretty to look at, so Joe Gollum gets a buy it. Bamf! That is your ludicrous speed round, and bamf! is the onomatopoeia of the week and the sound of Nightcrawler teleporting as seen in this week's issue of the strangely drawn Extraordinary X-Men. Number one. Really? It was this, $100 bill. I get to keep this hundred dollars if I be putting Every once in a while, Matt gets this real far away and serious look in his eye that means, Joe, you're about to try something you are not going to be comfortable with. It's not as weird as you think. This time, Matt's got a small football-shaped pill he picked up from the Swamp Thing. It's all natural. And here's the kicker. It's not the kind of pill that you swallow. Nope. No, this one goes up instead of down if you catch my drift. Sure. It's going to be a little weird for a few seconds, all right? But then we're going to be able to see into the future of next week's comics. Now, Joey, I want you to take a deep breath and then exhale. Here it comes. Now tell the kids what you're excited to read next week. Acting. (laughs) My pick for next week is all new, all different Avengers. Number one from Marvel Comics, written by Mark Wade, with art by Mahmoud Azrar and Adam Kubert, who I believe are doing rotating arcs. They probably both contribute to the number one. I have a feeling. It's 48 pages for $4.99. Do better, guys. Monstrous was 72 pages. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Here's your solicit. The Avengers are dead. Long live the Avengers. Earth's mightiest heroes, Captain America, Thor, Vision, and Iron Man are living separate lives. Separate lives. Not tied to any team. (laughs) But when a threat from beyond the stars targets our world, fate draws them together once more alongside Nova, Ms. Marvel, and Miles Morales, a.k.a. Spider-Man. Okay. What's going on here? This is a weird team of Avengers. It is. Yes, you've got Captain America, Thor. What's with the Avengers are dead? Iron Man. They just oh, broke they're up. Just, there is no Avengers. At the time this book picks up, the Avengers are disbanded. Because if you recall, the last time we saw the Avengers was yeah, when yeah, yeah. Captain America and Iron Man were trying to beat each other to death as the <laughs> planets were clapping together. <laughs> yeah, it was a whole thing. It was a whole thing. <laughs> so this is a weird team. You've got the iconic characters. You've got Cap, Iron Man, Thor. Uh, the vision is there. Yep. But other than the vision, it's Sam Wilson, Jane Foster. Yeah. And uh, well, oh, Tony Stark is Iron Man. So half of the iconic members are different people. And then the whole rest of the team are new people are completely new characters that I would say are trainees. Yeah. So this is an odd take on the Avengers. I'm interested in it because, of course, it's Mark Wade. Yeah. I love Mahmoud Azrar. I do, too. He's amazing. I think it's going to be kind of nice, even though this might not necessarily be a traditional Avenger story. It's a much more down to earth kind of 
comic booky Avenger story as yeah. opposed to it's gonna be more superhero driven I think how about four years of cosmic nonsense spliced <laughs> together with three other books that you're probably not reading and really pretty art don't forget about that yeah. <laughs> don't get look I love Hickman's Avengers I did too but I did too I, by like the whole last year of it, it I was like what the hell it I wandered away I yes. don't know what's happening Matt Bomb rip the bandaid off and just tell me about the, this next book. Get ready for news outlets everywhere to tell you that Marvel turned Wolverine into a girl and you can roll your eyes. All new Wolverine number one from Marvel written by Tom Taylor with art by David Lopez. It's 40 pages for four ninety nine. We already talked. That's about even Come less. On. That's I even know. worse than the Avengers book. <laughs> Laura Kinney embraces her destiny. Here comes Wolverine. X-23 was created to be a weapon, and for a time, that's all she was. But with the help of her mentor, Logan, the original Wolverine, she escaped that dark past. Tragically, Logan has fallen, but Laura will continue in his footsteps as a hero. Recent events have her doing everything in her power to keep those around her alive as violent forces are hell-bent on mutual destruction. If anyone can stop them, it's Laura. She's the best there is at what she does. She is the all-new Wolverine! Parental advisory. I am so excited for X-23 to finally get her props. I love David Lopez. Fantastic artist. Yeah. I don't know a lot of Tom Taylor's work. Um, He did some Earth 2 stuff yeah. for DC. And I'm curious to see what he can actually do, because I feel like that was, you know, yeah, DC, and that stuff doesn't count anymore. <laughs> but this looks fun. I think it's interesting that they're giving her the push that she finally deserves instead of like Mohawk docking or some scrap taking over. This is going to be a good time. They can't afford for it not to be. It's Wolverine. I need it to be because I honestly can't remember the last time I gave a shit about a solo Wolverine comic. It's been a while. It's been a while. I would love to enjoy one monthly again. The THN trade of the week. And this is an odd one. I apologize. It goes to Double D book one graphic novel from Image Comics. It's 152 pages for $9.99. That's a bargain. Wait, that's your line. That's a bargain. <laughs> it's a steal, yeah. Here's your solicit. After the official worst day ever, overweight bully magnet Danny Carter discovers he can use his excess body mass to fuel superpowers. It's nerd wish fulfillment right there. Obviously, he's going to be a superhero and fight crime, but when you're 15 years old and you live in the suburbs... It's not quite as easy as expected. This is written by Eddie Argos, singer and lyricist of classic rock band Art Brute. I love that band. They're the ones who gave us a DC Comics and Chocolate Milkshake song. I don't know that. Oh, it's fantastic. They're a great band. Artist by Stephen Horry, colors by David Cooper, lettering by Colin Bell. It's basically, I have never heard of any of these people. I have heard of Art Brute. Oh, they're fantastic. And I do have something of a history of really liking comics that musicians have decided to write. It's weird. You do too. <laughs> Umbrella Academy. I like that. Buzzkill. I thought Buzzkill was, yeah, it was good. I liked it. That's two. Two for two. Well, how many are there? <laughs> Probably a load. <laughs> <now. laughs> To be honest, that wasn't near as bad as I thought it would be. Right, buddy? Thanks, Thanks for, for that shelving tip, buddy. There you go. That's a butt reference. That's a butt drug uh, reference. <laughs> is it just me, or is all the furniture in the Sanctum Sanctorum way more comfortable than you? Go. We all have questions about comics. Can Thor kill Superman with his hammer? Does the thing poop rocks? 
Could Matter Eater Lad devour the living laser? No, oh. because the living laser is not made of matter. Fair enough. Is there an essential run of Forbish Man that I need to read? Well, you're in luck because Joe and I have the answers to all these questions and more. That's right, buddy. Each month, one lucky listener gets to consult the two-headed comic oracle to get an answer for their deepest comic questions. This time, Black Scorpion the Three continues his research into superpowers with this little doozy. It's part two of our superhero physics series. <laughs> From the THN forums, Black Scorpion writes, Nerds, you helped me through my confusion over lifting while flying. Sort of. And I'm... <laughs> Let's, you know. And I'm back to ask about another power, super swimming. <laughs> I love that definition. I want to know what's happening when people like Aquaman swim really fast. He can outswim a shark. He can outswim a boat. He can swim so fast that he surfaces to heights so high that he can touch a plane. Those are serious swimming speeds. It's true. But what's driving that speed? JLA Year One explained that Aquaman's super strength and heightened speed by reverencing his high-pressure undersea environment as conditioning him. So that's it, right? Afraid not, true believers. While super strength can traditionally allow people to propel themselves far and fast, like with the Hulk leaps, Aquaman's body is submerged in water that is pushing against water. Aquaman can make an effortless stroke to launch himself, but he doesn't have a proportionate surface area to push off from. He'd swim way faster than an Olympian, but a shark, boat, or plane? No way. He'd have to also be able to have a super fast swing stroke. Does he also have super stroke speed? Is he a super stroker? This is... Well, hold on. This is tough. Hold on. Let's complicate things even further. You know how he's got super strength and heightened speed because of his undersea conditioning. Wouldn't that suggest that his speed underwater is not heightened at all? That it would just be normal? Normal for someone of his strength. Right. Okay. Help me out, nerds. What's allowing him to go so fast? This is hard. Yeah, it's hard. This is hard. So, Joe, we, we, we don't know. We don't know what's going it's on here. It's obvious we do not know anything about Aquaman. We need to turn... To the world's biggest Aquaman fan. We just happen to know him. We do. Ladies and gentlemen, hello. we've got Patrick Cavanaugh on the phone. Say hello, Patrick. Oh my. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Ziggurat. So we've come down to three possibilities for Aquaman for his swimming powers. One, kick right. it, kicking his legs really, really fast, which doesn't make sense because when he gets out of the water, he doesn't have super speed. Two, his strokes are so powerful due to his superhuman abilities that he can swim from what we've read up to 6,700 miles per hour. And or three, yeah, let, me, let me tell you something about Aquaman strokes. <laughs> Never mind. Or three, he's flying, literally flying through the water. Can't fly through the air. Can fly Some through the water. sort of underwater equivalent of Superman's flight where he can propel yeah. himself somehow. What do you think? Um, well, you overcame that last one. That's, Probably about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, Thank you. Positive that theory. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, now it was rock stupid. There you go. <laughs> All uh, right. Yeah. See you last week's show. THN two twenty nine. Editor's note: Maniacal Matt. I don't know if that's like officially documented or anything anywhere. Um, I, I would say it's not necessarily just Aquaman being Aquaman, but by him being 
top Atlantean. Um, I mean, other Atlanteans swim really well, probably not as fast as Aquaman. Yeah, just like the um, Submariner, he seems to be the fastest of the Atlanteans. Right. Um, so I, I think the question more is how do Atlanteans swim really fast, and then Aquaman is just superhuman above that. Okay. I, I, I agree that I don't think it's that he's kicking his feet really fast. That would be really stupid. And as you know, there's nothing stupid about Aquaman. <laughs> uh, so, and we've also never I, I seen him say, drawn like that. We've never seen him like with a red tornado, you know, on his butt. Right. And he's just, right. I, I would say it's a combination of Atlantean strength and his own personal strength. I mean, you you live. You've gone to the bottom of Marion Trench. You, you got some. You got some power there. Sure. So I think it's a combination of raw strength. And I guess it wouldn't be aerodynamics, aqua dynamics. Aqua dynamics. I guess. That's a real thing. So there you go. So I, I think that he's just very skilled at swimming. You know, he's got those fins on the back of his legs. So it's got to be there for something. It's true. Right? <laughs> it's true. So that's, I mean, it's, it's all part of the aqua dynamics. So I, I would, I would say that it's, it's his, his strength and the way, you know, think of like how a dolphin swims, right? It doesn't right. just kick and then go, it, it, it goes with the flow of the, of the water to kind of push it along using its you know, fins and stuff like that. Uh, so that would be, that would be my professional opinion. I don't think it's magic. I don't think he's, you know, quote unquote, flying in water. Uh, it's just, dude, he's just a tough dude. He's super, super strong. He's lived in water for a long time. He knows, he knows how to, to manage that. Okay. Oh, that, I'm sorry. That can, makes sense. That. Okay, but you have to you have to take into consideration that they have shown Aquaman swimming so fast that if he can not only swim up Niagara Falls, but he can also yeah. launch himself through the air from the water high enough to touch a plane. That's yeah. more than just swimming really fast. That's, that's well, it's power. That's a superhuman strength. It's a power. Yeah, it's superhuman strength. Right. It's yeah, no swimming really fast. If you could swim that fast, you you could do those things. It is it is just speed, uh, but what gets him the speed is the strength and the aqua dynamics. So, do you think that if he attempted to run on land, that he would be faster? Obviously, not flash fast because that's right. silly. No, no. I, I mean, he would be. He does have, you know, super strength. He does. He is super strong. So, um, I mean, I'm. I don't know a lot about run speed, uh, but I would think if your legs are that strong, you could run faster. But definitely not like flash fast. No, 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 no. Or or Superman fast or or whatever. So, for sake of argument, because he is inherently a creature of the water, his strength yes. enables him to swim really fast, as opposed to a creature of the land that is fast because they've been walking around and running all their life. Right. Yeah. Cause I think it's a lot has to do with the, the aqua dynamics where you grew which up. Obviously he doesn't have on land nature versus nurture <laughs> more or less. Uh, <laughs> he was, I don't think you know what that means. <laughs> he was raised by dolphins. So it's obviously it's true. He's uh, well, that was Peter David that came up with that though. Patrick, 
Patrick's hated nemesis. I think you cleared this up a little bit. I don't think you cleared anything up, I'm but it was way more fun it. to talk to you about it than have us banter. About I'm it. feeling a little better about I it. I think I cleared everything up. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry if my opinion doesn't uh, agree with yours, um, but as big of an Aquaman fan that I am, I am willing to admit that Matter Eater Lad could take a bite of Aquaman. Oh yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> Absolutely ma- true. Made a matter. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you, Patrick, for coming on the show and clearing that up. Uh, yep. I'm. Sh- I hope that we have an opportunity to call on your expertise again in the future. Anytime. So, in a nutshell, because he's super strong, <laughs> his strokes are super badass. Because he's a super stroker. Yep. He can stroke himself so fast that he can stroke all the way up Niagara Falls. <laughs> I think we have an answer. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I'm saying fine. it's official. I'm giving it the fist. Bam. There we go. Oh, we now fist. understand how super swimming works. And we should also differentiate between other characters like Namor. Same thing. Guys like Stingray. That's a suit. Black Manta wearing a suit. That's what makes him swim real fast. Well, yeah, Sting, Stingray is essentially wearing an underwater version of Iron Man right. armor, which means it propels itself. But Namor, Namora, Aquaman, Aqualad, Mira. Other, other <laughs> Atlantean. Yeah. <laughs> they all super strong, therefore swim super fast. Thank you for your question, Black Scorpion. And if you have a burning comic book question or are itching for some comic suggestions from the comic pushers, Hit us up on the THN forums where we have combined comic pushers and ask a nerd into one titanic super section. Super section. Woo! What basically that means is that I'm not going to be rapping quite so often. Yeah. But it'll still happen. Yeah. It'll happen. You guys want to find something to read? Eh, hit the comic pushers. We just up. have a bunch of new segments that we're trying. Yeah. That's the reason. Yeah. Sort of sort break of, it, sort break of, it down like this. That is it for the farewell to Mr. Carson episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that rewrite nerd history to suit their own agendas, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, you can leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. It's a smart thing to do and a nice way to do it. Yeah, I think that was Wilford Brimley's uh, Diabetes. The smart check, was the Quaker Oats. Check your blood right? every day. Diabetes, diabetes, <laughs> diabetes. <laughs> Thank you to all of our donors. You keep the Aqua Dynamics flowing in the ziggurat. Nice. And if you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking the PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation monthly box, and as little as a dollar a month really does help. And if you'd like to sponsor THN. Say you've got a comic book that you want to promote. Yeah. Or a website. Sure. Or you invented something. Maybe you made a better comic book. Or you're, uh, you're like uh, searching for your long lost mom. Yeah. You know, maybe you're an like eBay billionaire that inflates the price of all these comics to uh, insulting levels, you know? You can sponsor THN. Just shoot us an email with the subject line sponsorship. It'd be rad. If you want to yell at us personally, you can head over to twoheadednerd.com where you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we place the THN outtake of the week, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline. It's 402-819-4894. Give us a call. Say hi. You can play along with the show. You know what has never happened? What's that? Anyone just calling us up to say hi. Yeah, just calling up and be like, hey guys, what's going on? Can't sleep. 
you see what you're doing? Do you want to come over and make out or anything? I'm polishing my gun and thinking of you. <laughs> if you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. It's probably a lot more tolerable this week. Yeah, yeah, that'll be fine. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to THM Love Slave and occasional guest host, Comrade in Arms, and the best damn DM in the world, Mr. Wooly Toots, who celebrated his 44th birthday this week. Word to you, your old buddy. Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics, because your retailer might not live to see their 44th birthday if you don't. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.